Hello, everyone. Welcome to Cave of the Cross Apologetics. I'm Patrick. And I'm Tony. And uh, we're um, moving now into the, the the deep part of the book, yeah. if, if you haven't thought it was deep before. <laughs> uh, and so uh, we're, we're um, of course, uh, going over Scott Christensen's book, What About Evil? A Defense of God's Sovereign Glory. We're getting to the sovereign and God part. Yeah. So we're, we're, we've critiqued and looked at uh, a free will. We've looked at all the different individual aspects of uh, explanations for evil and we've seen there's some issues with it so now where are we well scott christian of course isn't just going to leave us empty-handed he, right. he doesn't offer us a critique without giving us the carrot so <laughs> now we're starting to nibble on the end of the carrot and of course uh he's going to present in this chapter uh his view of not only um who god is as uh, revealed in scripture but also who man is according to scripture as well and it's uh, it, uh, reading this. Uh, it's interesting because um, I mean, he, I think he he starts it off with the appropriate looking at God, his characteristics. But in Calvin's Institutes, he starts with uh, the idea of man and mm. and understanding. By understanding man, you understand God because of the creature creator distinction. And so there's um, different aspects that Calvin uh, pulls into that gets him to the same. Kind of conclusions that yeah. Christensen does, but it's just interesting to to have seen the the two juxtapositions of of how you approach it. So, so we're on chapter seven, the transcendent author of history, and he starts off by saying that the uh, that before we can make sense of where God intersects the presence of evil in this world, we must gain a glimpse of his transcendent character and this this transcendent, you know, ab- above creation thing is is something that he's going to really stress in the first part of this yeah. chapter here. And it's more than just, I mean, it's not a location. It's right. God is other than, right. than his creation. Like right. He's different. Mm-hmm. And so he transcends his creature, uh, creation yeah. that way. Yeah. And so if, if you have conversations with, with Muslims here, this is something that they, they will take and say uh, that Allah is even more transcendent in, in their understanding and, there are some issues with that, like, you know, Allah is more transcendent than even his own word and uh, different uh, issues that we get into that. But but um, this this idea of, of transcendence, of, of putting into proper perspective who God is, gets us to kind of this understanding of what the world is like and therefore uh, um, the, the, the answer to the problem of evil. And so that's why um, he's starting off here. So he also says that uh, scripture uncovers a magnificent vision of God that is overwhelming. It makes small-souled people nervous. It is anchored in several unmistakable and fundamental truths. And one of those first truths is that God's transcendence means that he is the eternal, infinite, wholly sufficient I am. And so he says that uh, he is the uncreated creator, possessor, and sustainer of some things. Nope, not some things. All things. What right. things? All. Yeah. Here's where the all means all. And <laughs> there's nothing that's, that has been made or continues or has come about that is outside his scope of, of knowledge. Yeah. Secondly, with regard to this, trans, uh, this transcendence, um, from this lofty position, he tells us, emerges God's supreme lordship. So not only is he, you know, above in terms of greater and uh infinite and eternal, but he's also Lord, 
right? right? He is completely sovereign. He controls it and decreeing all that transpires in the course of history. Uh, and then he providentially ensures that everything unfolds according to the plan that he has laid out, the divine plan. So, uh, so that's the second. So he's transcendent. He's Lord. Thirdly, this all encompassing uh, divine determination is um, compatible, he tells us, with human freedom and human responsibility. God does not operate as an impersonal, fatalistic force, mm-hmm. right? His sovereignty does not undermine or bypass human uh, willing and choosing. Uh, Christensen tells us that God coerces no one to do what they do. Right. Right. They do it. So we have these three various aspects here, right? His transcendence, his lordship, but this compatibilist notion with regard to human choice, freedom, and free will, right? God doesn't force anybody to do anything. Right. So, so having this conversation of, oh, we're just all puppets or robots, is antithetical to uh, what the idea that Calvinism or Reformed theology uh, brings about. And so um, if, if we're dealing with someone who wants to bring those up, we should have a proper answer for why that's not the case. But at the same time, we should all, especially if we're on this side of grace, that we're all believers, we should also uh, go forth with maybe just a, little, a, a modicum of, of self-respect for, for the other the other person, too. Mm-hmm. The, you may be doing to others uh, <laughs> as, as you would have them doing to you kind of deal. So, okay, we have these three ideas, and, and you know, we have the sovereignty, which is almost a foreign concept for us um, Americans, uh, if, if you are American, but uh, but these these um, ideas are are paramount in scripture they, they're they're throughout the old and new testament and so uh, uh christian goes on to say that having established these truths we find that there's a second set of truth that emerges from these main principles first god is unassailable in his perfect righteousness and goodness and he could never entertain evil thoughts or plans and so that's that's a characteristic because god is like how he is Primarily, he also cannot be certain other things. Mm-hmm. Um, second, we see that God's sovereignty must extend to evil. Evil cannot escape God's plans or his providential power. It has no independent power or designs that could undermine the transcendent author of history. Thus, all evil that transpires must conform to the goodness of his plans that can proceed from none other than the goodness of his character. Evil isn't just out there as a free radical bouncing around the universe, <laughs> you know, zipping here and there like uh, like some little sprite demon or, or what have you. Uh, it's it's under the control of, of God. And uh, I, I always like the, um, the A.W. Pink quote of, of, you know, it's it's not God versus Satan in the great cataclysm of history he pink says that that uh satan is god's satan so it, it's mm. it's a, a, a an unknown quantity and used by god within his uh, scope right so so this is you know interesting because you know right away well you, you fear the problem of evil <clears throat> once you say god is sovereign he's in control he's lord he controls his creation uh, Christensen jumps right in and says, no, that's part of what God is all about, right? right? right. Because because we're classifying things. We're, we're saying from these main principles flow other things, and this has to be the case if you grant these things. What free will advocates and, and certain other um, uh, different ideas that, that kind of 
muddle the conversation of, of humanity versus God and, and whatever type of uh, battle of wills uh, there is, um, th- th- we, we tend to falter within our idea of either who God is or who man is. And so right. that's where we have to have a, a, a underlying uh, uh, you know, presupposition of what that looks like. And our ultimate authority is either man and his idea of philosophy, and of course we're not opposed to philosophy, or it's scripture that gives us divine truth. Right. And so <clears throat> he says, you know, since God is in control, then evil is part of his, um, you know, conforms, he tells us, to the goodness of his plans, right? Right. So he says, yes, there's profound tension here. God is wholly sovereign over evil and God is wholly good. But this is where we should expect from the incomprehensible holiness or the otherness of God. It seems like it's a, it's a, it's a weird thing, but also you have an entire creator of the universe who uh, exists uh, in one being and three persons. That also seems a little weird. And yet uh, both sides uh, of, of Christianity, uh, of Arminianism and Calvinism, believe that. We believe in the, the duality of Christ as being both fully God and fully man. So there's a so, lot of these types of things that, that appear to be, you know, uh, incomprehensible intention, right? Threeness of God, duality of Christ, you know, who uh, the uh, the Holy Spirit works in me, but I work, you know. So yeah. you have a lot of these things in, in, right. in, uh, in theology, right? Um, all right, so next he moves on then. He wants to give us a uh, magnificent vision of God, right? He, he So he wants to build on this issue of God's transcendence and his uh, incomprehensibility. He says humans are persistently inclined to paint their view of God with decidedly anthropomorphic hues, right? right. <laughs> that is, you know, uh, he is like us kind of thing, mm-hmm. right? While the... Uh, the Bible often accommodates our understanding of God with such familiar language. We must never, he tells us, uh, forget that he is infinitely more magnificent than anything or anyone that we can remotely imagine. Right? Right. We covered uh, some of this in, in our episodes on hermeneutics uh, from uh, episodes 150, 151, talking about, oh, well, Jesus is a door. Therefore, you know, he has door-like qualities made of wood. You can open them. You can close them. <laughs> the, the Bible reveals this, this otherness of God, you know, it, it's, it's the idea uh, uh, from, from Dawkins, you know, if there is a God, then he's so far above us that there's no possible way that he could communicate with us. But unless he created us, then why wouldn't he build into that type of creation? A way that he could communicate. That, yeah. I mean, yeah. Uh, you know, let, let's not uh, turn to Dawkins for our theology, but <laughs> at the same time, th- there is this idea of, yeah, if, if God exists and he created the universe, then, then he has to be so far above us to, to do what we do. It's that, that old joke of, uh, you know, the scientists say is tells God that he can do anything he can do. And he creates a, a rock and, uh, from from dirt and the scientist says, "Okay, I'll, I'll I'll do the same thing you did." And he picks up dirt and God says, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! Get your own dirt." <laughs> you know, so so this this idea of of us trying to uh, always replace God within you know our, our concepts, we we can't we can't kind of fathom that because we exist in the universe that uh, is sustained by Him, is created by Him, relies on Him for continuation, and so that's uh, um, uh, revealed to us uh, in Scripture and. It's one of the things that we we looked at within um, uh, Kostenberger's book and also this book of of 
why we should expect uh, God to reveal himself through a book mm-hmm. and, and, and other means as well, but uh, primarily through his word in scripture. Mm-hmm. So next is the incomprehensible, holy, transcendent Lord of all. So while there exists a bridge between creator and creature, an overlapping identity, especially between God and humans, as his image-bearing creatures, the more proper starting place for understanding God in his uh, incomprehensible holiness, that is his transcendence. So that there isn't, that we're not so far removed from God that he is, he is a completely other other, but he builds in us his image. By us existing, we, uh, we, we declare his glory even just from us existing. And that's a special relationship that he did at the beginning. It's not what the animals have. It's not what the plants have. It's not what the planets or stars have. It's a special creature that he's made and has that relationship with us because of that image-bearing nature. Yeah, yeah. And he uses Job here to kind of, uh, you know, <laughs> confirm what he's trying to get at here. And and we should probably say at this point, uh, this particular chapter is full of quotes from Scripture. I yeah. mean, it is, you know, filled with scriptural quotes. And we will only, you know, touch the surface in terms of some of right. these various uh, scriptural so by the book. quotes. But by yeah, the book. <laughs> this one is full of, of what scripture has to say about God and man. So what about this transcendence? Well, Job 11, 7 through 9 says, um, you know, can you find out the deep things of God? Can you find out the limit of the Almighty? It is higher than heaven. What can you do deeper than Sheol? What can you know? It measures, its measure is longer than the earth and broader than the sea, right? So this is kind of God belongs to a different order of being than we do, right? right? He and, is other. And, and so how, how, is, how is the writer of Job expressing this? He's expressing this in pretty much the, the biggest thing that is known at the time, which is creation, the world. Right. You know, it's not saying like, oh, you know, if you take a a, 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 a particle of atom here and you, you turn it here and over here and you set them infinite number of ways. Or if you think of a, a hotel that has an infinite number of rooms, no, no, he's using this concept of, you know, heavens are, are high above us. What, what's above that? I don't know, but that, that's, that's the quality of, of difference between, between us and God. And yeah. so he's using uh, the, the actual biggest nature thing that, that he can put into and saying like, you know, uh, what what is bigger what is deeper what is longer and we see this also in the new testament is you know who can separate us it's neither height nor depth mm-hmm. or if i make my bed in in hell or if i you know ascend to the highest mountains that this type of language is is communicated in not just who god is but how he relates to our our knowing our sin no more as far as the east is from the west so this type of language is consistent in scripture of of trying to relate in our mind something physical and here to explain this this transcendent this other thing that well what else would it be other than uh, trying to explain it through this type of of anthropomorphic means All right so what is what's the highest thing you can think right. of right heaven okay god is higher than heaven right that kind of stuff right, right. So what's the smallest thing you can think of? Well, for us, it might be some particle, right? Yeah. The Bose, Bose, uh, whatever, what <laughs> Higgins, do you call yeah. it? Bose Hagen particle. Yeah. Well, God is greater than, you right. know. But, you know, yeah, they express, and poetry is like this. You express, we would express something like this in the knowledge that we have, 
Why? In terms we, we of do it to our kids. Old, How much hey, do you yeah. love me? I love you this much. <laughs> cool. What what is that quantity? Yeah. Well, no, I'm exp- explaining it to you. Like if I stretch my arms out really, really far, mm-hmm. I love you more than that. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so he goes on to say that uh, this um, Bav- Bavinik. Bavnik observes uh, this quote. He says, The distance between God and us is the gulf between the infinite and the finite, between eternity and time, between being and becoming, between the all and the nothing. However, we little we know of God, even the faintest notion implies that he is a being who is infinitely exalted above every creature. He's different but he still relates to us. He later goes on to say that there is no knowledge of God as he is in himself. We are human and he is the Lord, our God. There is no name that fully expresses his being, no definition that captures him. He infinitely transcends our picture of him, our ideas of him, our language concerning him. He is not comparable to any creature. Wow. And yeah. so, you know, we, we see this at the, the, um, at, at the Bernie Bush, who, who can I say, uh, the, you know, uh, th- that, uh, that, that is talking to me. I am that I am. I, I am the, the thing that is being he's, he's, there's nothing to, to relate to him. And when God swears, who, who, what does he swear by? There's nothing greater than him. There's nothing that he would stoop down to lower himself. He just says, say that I am the, that yeah. I swear by myself, myself because yeah. he is the highest being and he is perfect in that swearing of it. Right. He's not going to falter in it. And so that's the confidence that, that God is giving to, um, to his, his, um, his creatures, uh, based on his promise to do something. When, when he, when he makes a, an agreement with Abraham, he puts Abraham under sleep and he makes the covenant with Abraham from himself. Right. He, he stands on both sides and says, you will fail, but I'll stand on the right side and the left side. I will pass through what exactly you would do in agreement with landowners or, or whoever you're going to enter into. And I'll be on both sides that way. Even if you fail, I won't. Right. And so we see that yeah. again throughout scripture. Yeah. Yeah. And so Christensen uh, says that God's otherness, this unique holiness of divinity, his transcendently august and uh, vulnerable majesty, he says, can be oriented around two poles. First, there are God's incommunicable attributes, right? In other words, whatever is true of God that is not true of us as his creature speaks to his holiness. So those are attributes that we don't have, right? They're incommunicable. And then secondly, there are his communicable attributes, right? Whatever overlapping features exist between God and his image-bearing creatures, right, human beings. And, uh, you know, both of these are incomprehensibly greater than, obviously, God is incomprehensibly greater than we are. And this, too, then speaks of his holiness. So we have these various two aspects, these two poles that he talks about. Mm -hmm. There are attributes of God that we don't share. There are attributes of God that in a limited, small sense, we kind of overlap with God. Right. We share. And, right? and that stems not just from human nature. It, c- it comes from the, the Imago Dei, the, the image of God uh, put into us by God. Because, again, that's something that we would want and expect to see in this transcendent being. Things that we can relate to so that we can we can fellowship with him, that we can... Uh, see him, we can perceive him, we can receive him, 
And there are also things that we wouldn't want to, to be able to understand him fully because, and what type of God is that to know? How is that different than, than Baal or Dagon or, you know, Molech or any of these other, you know, false gods that, that come about that are known and hewn and we're able to, to do it. Okay. Now picture God as the Trinity. Whoa, hold on. Hold on a second. That, 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 you know, that flummox, uh, you know, the, the best of minds throughout history. And so we would want to see that we expect to see that, but he's not completely separate. So we couldn't even know him. The image of God that is in us is able to have that relationship on the certain qualities that he shares with us. Pretty neat. Pretty neat. Yeah. Yeah. So by contrast, we are contingent. We uh, we are relied upon with our parents. We are relied upon to travel through time and so far only one direction. Uh, sometimes it feels faster. Uh, you know, we have to be sustained by food, water, air, uh, shelter, all those things. We are finite and exist in a narrow frame of imminence. This alone constricts our thoughts about God. So, you know, can, can, can I, you know, uh, fully fathom what fully God and fully man is? Uh, no, I have a hard time with that, but I understand a difference between what he is, and what he isn't. I can say, okay, it's not a mixture. It's not half God, half man. I can see the issues with that. So there are uh, things within the revelation of God that I can understand and know. And even if those are negative things that we can say, God is not like this, it helps to inform what our things, uh, what, what our, our known things are. And we see that too within certain, uh, like the Chicago statement, there's the Here's what scripture is and here's what it isn't. We, we also make these distinctions when we write um, these, these kind of meetings together that, that we have. This means that we are lowly creatures, are wholly dependent on the one creator for the continuous sustaining of every moment of every fiber of body, mind, and soul. In him we live and move and have our being. And this is drastically different than, than what uh, uh, you know the, the, the deist, the blind watchmaker, winds up the universe, sets it up, and walks away. God is actively participating because, because all of creation is dependent on him. He uh, sustains and, and creates and allows things to continue on. It's how he thinks. It's how he acts. Uh, it's, it's, it's how he wants us to, um, to relate to one another, wants us to relate to him. This isn't, uh, you know, the, the, the God who is so far off. He's right here. He's with us, yeah. So we are contingent. We're lowly creatures. He says we do not get to define who or what we are. We do not belong to ourselves. Since God created us, we belong to him together with all else that he's created, right? So God is a creator. Everything belongs to him. He says we stand thoroughly accountable to his authority in all dimensions of our being. And then he quotes Isaiah here, for the Lord is our judge. The Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord is our king. He will save us. Isaiah 33, 22. Uh, and then, of course, Matthew 28, Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth rest, you know, with the divine son of God. So, yeah, so we are, he is the authority. Uh, we don't get to determine who we are, what we are. Um, you know, we don't belong to ourselves. We belong to God. Right. right? He owns us, <laughs> uh, which again, in our culture, in our society, we don't like. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm independent. I, I just require everyone else to do everything else so that I can exist. <laughs> so yeah, and all of this, God has come down to us. He is not absolutely transcendent. Uh, otherwise, he would be completely unknowable. Mm -hmm. He has graciously condescended to our plane of existence. He enters into it. He, he, um, 
he visits, he acts, he uh, um, uh, makes himself known uh, through his word and through uh, his presence. The epitome of the eminence of God is wrapped up in the mystery of the incarnation of Emmanuel, God with us, the Son of God, emptying himself by assuming a human nature, by, by the, um, the Westminster uh, Confessions calls this this his humiliation. You know, it's mm-hmm. God humiliating himself and coming down and stooping so low as to be like one of his creatures. But he can't fully be one of his creatures or else he'd fail to be, be God. Full, be God. Yeah. <laughs> and submitting himself to the cruelest of human, hum, humanely devised tortures, strangely enough, in order to rescue us, the same such cruel creatures. And right. that's uh, uh, Philippians uh, yeah. 2, 6 through 7. Jesus Christ represents the paradoxical wonder of the transcendent and imminent God. And again, that's uh, again that's one of the reasons why we have to understand it is fully God and fully man. And those two are distinct uh, uh, beings within one, one human, human body. Right. So we have this God is transcendent, right? He's other, he's infinite, he's eternal, but he's also imminent, right? He is with us, we might say, right? He he uh, he condescends to to uh, to our level in order to communicate with us. In fact, Jesus Christ, in order to die for us in a cruel way, right? That's what he's getting at here. Um, and so next, he talks about God's sovereignty, right? The uh, the sovereign author of all. So God transcends. He's uh, imminent, right? But he's also sovereign. He's in control. So we see he says. Uh, this logical progression in this understanding of who God is. We move from uh, the matrix of his transcendent holiness and incomprehensibility to a status as creator. So he has to come down to create, right, uh, and sustainer, and, uh, and then to his, um, his condescending to us in terms of his interaction with his creatures, right? So he goes from transcendent God above all, other than all, to creator, and then to interaction with his creatures, right? right. So we see this kind of what he calls a logical progression of, uh, of the understanding of who God is. Mm-hmm. And, and also this is, he's still existing outside of his creation. He, he enters into, but is also outside of, or else he, he fails to be, anything other than the creator, then right. he's just another mere creation within the scope of, uh, of the universe. Mm-hmm. Some theologians think scripture is unclear of what it means for God to be sovereign and nothing further could be from the truth. The sovereignty of God is an all encompassing way to speak of his lordship over all that he has created, his rule, his divine, um, um, majesty that, that, uh, operates, that can exist, that can, do whatever he pleases. And that, that uh, idea isn't, is kind of foreign to us Americans, but within the scope of scripture, both the old Testament and the new Testament up until recently, uh, we, we understood that and we understood the, the full uh, effect of that. And even too, if we wanted to talk about, you know, self sovereignty, that's just another way that we can say, okay, well, what freedoms, what rights do I have? All these things, what does that mean to, to be in fully control? Now just operate that as a single man on the island. You know, you're, you're Robinson Crusoe. And, and uh, you know, there's a reason that, like, Austrian economics talks about the Crusoe idea to understand, okay, how, how you have uh, praxeology, the, the, the freedom to, to do things, to operate, and, and all these things. So the sovereignty of God is this all-encompassing way to speak. 
of the lordship over all that he has created. As David declares, the Lord, Yahweh, has established his throne in the heavens and his sovereignty rules over all. Psalm 103. God's sovereignty entails three things. It entails his eternal decree, his providence, and his omnipotence. And so he says, let us consider um, the first, uh, each of these facets of his divine sovereignty, beginning with his uh, his eternal decree. All right. So God's decree. Um, He tells us that scripture speaks of the decreative sovereign will of God, whereby, as the Westminster uh, Confession of Faith declares, quote, God from all eternity did by the most wise and holy counsel of his own will freely and unchangeably ordain whatsoever comes to pass. So God has ordained everything that comes to pass. His decree, he tells us, is eternal first from all eternity. That's what it says there. And that it was established before the foundation of the world. And of course, this is a quote from Ephesians chapter three. Uh, It is unchangeable meaning that God planned a fixed course for all things. No one and nothing can change what he's determined to take place, right? This is part of his decree. Um, You know, he quotes Isaiah here, for the Lord of hosts has purposed, and who will annul it? His hand is stretched out, and who will turn it back? Well, the answer is no one, right? Uh, Habakkuk says, no plan of God can fail. It is set in stone forever. So once God decrees it, it's, it's a done deal. Right, right. right. Yeah, we're, we're, we're throwing spears at the sky. We're kicking the stones. We're, we're trying to change it. And, and two, we're citing the Westminster Confession. And the confession isn't this, this, the, the standard by which we say um, this is true because this, of the the, this, this, these yeah. group of people got yeah. together. Mm-hmm. There's citation of scripture, and he does uh, in his footnotes where they belong and at the foot uh, uh, to, of, of all these scriptures that, that tons of bu- scriptures. Build, yeah. build out yeah. these confessions that are just uh, gussied up for us in, in language <laughs> that we can memorize and, and, and have a, a, a better understanding without having to flip through all these, all these verses that, uh, that indicate um, this, this decree. So furthermore, God was not compelled to create the world, right? There, there's nothing that, that says, I I must create the world because uh, th- th- there's a guy with a gun in my back <laughs> and I must do this. No, no, he is not compelled at all. Or to order it in any particular manner except as proceeding from his most wise and holy counsel. God was uh, will not author a story that reflects anything less than his holy and perfect nature prescribes. He consulted no one. And so... You know, we talk about like, uh, can God uh, make a rock so heavy that He Himself cannot lift it? Can He make a square circle? No, because those are outside of His, um, His. It's it's outside of His nature, and and there's nothing greater than His nature. So He wouldn't do anything that is inconsistent with His nature. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's 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 a, a non thing to say so heavy He could He Himself couldn't lift it. Right. It's, right. It's, it's, it's it's outside. Meaningless. Yeah, it is Actually, meaningless. Yeah. yeah, He orders all things freely and self-determinedly doing all that he pleases. So if he wants to make 16 people rather than two, he could have done that. Uh, if he wanted to put them in Antarctica, probably warmer back then, uh, he could do so. Um, you know, th- th- there's there's nothing, as we talked about with, with grace, with the salvation, there's nothing that he says, well, great, now, now I have to do this. Th- there are character, th- there are qualities of his character that uh, he won't go against. You know, he he won't he won't make a a, a, a creature 
uh, think that the car is in the garage and both in in the garage at the same time and have it be true. <laughs> now the creature could think that because of their their nature, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, but but that wouldn't be the case because uh, it would go against his nature. So again, from his transcendent and his he can't transcend his own transcendence as some other uh, uh, people want to think. But uh, th- these. First, primary orders, secondary orders fall from this. And so th- these are kind of the, the outcomes of his nature, not, not events within the life of God, but his, from his nature. All right. And so that's God's decree. Next, he's going to move into God's uh, providence. Uh, and we might want to hold off here and kind of uh, you know, end it here and pick it up next time. Uh, because providence, he's going to have a lot to say yeah. about this. This is a big sticky wicked issue with regard to Calvinism and that sort of thing. Right. right. And so uh, maybe we'll, we'll end here and, and pick it up. Next right. time. We tried, we, we're, we're trying to get a little bit further, but there's just too much to talk about when you're talking <laughs> about the transcendent God of the universe. So uh, thanks for joining us. Thanks for uh, um, continuing to read this book again. Uh, we're, we're, not rushing through the book, but we're not covering everything. Uh, as Tony said, there's a lot of scripture here to offer support of what's being said. And so hopefully you'll pick up the book. Links are in the description. Uh, you know, you're, you're only helping uh, Scott Christensen out. But also if you want to order it through Amazon, uh, we get a, a, a few cents here and there. Uh, but you, you can also uh, support us on Patreon if you want to do that. If not, just keep watching. And like I said, we do this anyway. So thanks for joining us and we'll see you next time. See you next time.